Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu. Wind, 0605. Zero, Seriously, it's Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Hazardous weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast. Connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by notable airshow performer Kyle Franklin of Franklin's Flying Circus. He'll talk to us about his family history in aviation and his airshow performance career. And as always, news, information, and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Flying Midwest Podcast. I'm Jim, one of your hosts. I'm joined by Maddie. Hello. And Trevor. Greetings. How are you guys doing tonight? Tired. I see that. Surprisingly tired, but not too bad. I, I think... had a student, a couple students cancel on me today, so. Boo. Yeah. Hey, you it's... know what? It's okay. I have lots of things to do. I'm still, I'm, I'm recovering. My parent, my mom and my sister were just here. They got my place looking gorgeous, so that's except exciting, they left but... you with uh, with an IKEA desk to build. Okay, that was it's my desk. I chose to get it and undo it, and then well, it's been built for a long time, but I chose to tear it down and bring it. I took that risk. It might you pay knew off. what you're getting yourself into, right? I, I don't know if I want to feel sorry for you on this. No, it's okay. I don't deserve pity. However. My place is looking a lot nicer, and it's kind of like quiet. So it has um, been a long Labor Day weekend for us. Um, I'm going to start things off, though, with a little bit of a surprise for one of us. Happy birthday, Trevor. Happy birthday, Trevor. Don't look so excited. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's like, please uh, contain yourself. Birthdays, grr. I didn't do anything to celebrate, so it wasn't even my birthday. That's not how That's- it works. Yeah, that's whether you I'm, celebrate or not, it's still the day of your birth. It is another trip around the sun. Here we are, another year older. We can't you say can celebrate with us. You're having a I drink can't with say us. I'm any bit wiser. I wasn't gonna say and it. What did you, you do with your whole year, Trevor? You can't say you're any wiser. What you've been going to school for like the last 12 months, it feels like. Okay, it's been eight and a half months, Jim. <laughs> that's still a long time. It's still a long time to be in a school. To be away from family, to be yeah. in a trailer, yes. Let's celebrate with a drink. How about that? You got your beer. I got my little drink here. Maddie's got Cheers. probably a lot of vodka in that water bottle she has there. So there you go. Boys. Birthday drinks for Trevor. See, I we celebrated. Since I need something harder. This is what we have for right now. I'll take it. I'll accept it. So what do we have going on in the world of aviation between the three of us? Scared of crap from the birds. You're scaring birds? You're scared of birds? I scared a crap ton of birds. Oh, those are different things. He's not scared of birds. He's scaring the birds, Maddie. Oh. Yeah. That like a scarecrow? I want to hear how Trevor's scaring the birds, though. 300 feet off the deck, going 210 knots. That'll get their attention. Down by the river. (laughs) (laughs) You got that, Chris Farley? uh, Yeah, and a... In a tin can down by the river, essentially? Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Maddie, how are all the students doing? Uh, They're fine. We're not able to fly a whole lot because it's really, it's hot here. It's like 95 every single day. So as soon as it hits like, I don't know, 11, it gets bumpy. And my students are still within their first couple flights. And so it's like, and they're in class in the morning, which is like, you know, prime time to fly. So yeah. 
we're dealing with that. It's is it is it you that's telling them not to fly, or is it the policies telling them not to fly? I'm telling I'm I will not make them fly in turbulence for the first couple of flights because it does not do anything for them. They won't get the fundamentals properly if they're flying in turbulence. They won't be able to feel the aircraft and they won't get it. I've already gotten evidence of that. I did that with a student today and I I could I could feel the regression. It was bad. So Oh, they'll feel something with the aircraft. It's just not the desired intent that you have. Right. They will feel <laughs> turbulence and frustration. Hey Jim, what did you do? Now we oh. talked about our stuff. Why don't you tell us what you did? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Trevor. Thank you. I went to the six Yankee Niner fly-in in Sidnaw, Michigan. It is in the middle of the UP. It is in the middle of a whole bunch of trees. And about the only thing I think in the middle of this huge mess of trees is this airstrip. Um, I flew into that. I met up with some really cool people, um, most of whom I hadn't been acquainted with before. So it was an interesting experience. I ran into the one and only Brian Turner. Uh, that was a very interesting welcoming that he had. Um, he flew Uh-oh. in, he landed, and it's like all of us just like created this welcome committee and went over to his plane. And as he's hopping out of his plane, him and his wife, Erin, like, hey, you need a beer? <laughs> so, Here's a beer. Here's a beer. <laughs> like, Let me get out of the airplane first. <laughs> so, My kind of group. Yeah. So it was a really good time. It's uh, I was introduced to some people. Um, I met a fellow podcaster out of Minnesota. I'm going to check out his stuff and uh, maybe bring him on at some point in the future if he's interested. Uh, a couple of YouTubers Aviation? were out there. Yeah. In the Pattern is his podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but. I, I feel like I've heard of it. Okay. That would be really cool. So I'm going to, I'll chat with uh, Brad and see if he's interested in that. But yeah, overall it was just, it, as we talk about the greatest parts of aviation is the people. And that's exactly what this was. Is a group of great people. We came together, we hung out, we told stories about aviation, talked about our own experiences. That sounds like so much fun. They had the schoolhouse building and we hung out in there quite a bit too. It's 99 years old. It turns hundred next year and they're trying to do some renovations to this space. Um, it needs some work. <laughs> They'll admit that. Um, but we hung out a lot in there too. Um, and then there's this couple, Dale and Leslie that come every year and they put on such a spread that any pancake breakfast that we ever talk about in this podcast again will pale in comparison to this thing. It was incredible what they put on. So they had like an oatmeal bar and pancakes and eggs Ooh, and biscuits and gravy, three kinds of bacon. Three kinds of bacon. Well, they just flavored differently. They put on a great spread and I, we were all very appreciative, but it sounds like this is, this was their dialed back version of that. <laughs> sounds like they put on quite the spread every year. So wow. um, it is quite an interesting airport to get in and out of. It was as advertised. Um, that is a for sure the field your instructor warns you about. And it's not 50 foot trees at the end of the runway. It's like 75 or hundred. So um, short and soft field. Oh yeah. It was, it was a chance. Uh, it was a challenge getting in and out of there. Um, and How long is the runway? 2,600 feet. That's not too bad. Um, yeah, with it, 75 foot trees at the end. That mm. was the hard part. I'm like, Oh it's God, these spicy. trees are a lot higher than I thought they were. So I really had to slip it in. And, um, and I, I felt that I just bounced all over the place once I hit. Um, but it turns out everyone did it. Someone made a comment about, did you find the ramp out there? And apparently I must have, because I went airborne again at one point. <laughs> like, oh, well, I, no. No, no, I don't want to be up here. No, 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 no. Okay. Was it a, was it a grass strip or yes, it's a grass? Strip. Wow. I've never landed. I'll confess. I've never landed on a grass strip. Well, and the only it's grass different. strip that I landed on before was forest Lake in Minnesota. And that was at the, at the time when it was a grass strip fairly, you know, level well-maintained and this is a strip that you know for the most part it's used um a few times a year for an event like this and otherwise it's kind of considered like a safety field they want that airport to be in operation so that you as you've got people flying around in this mess of huge pine trees you've got somewhere that they can land at any rate i had a really good time camping was cold as hell but the the stars yeah. were freaking awesome and we got the northern lights for a little bit um I'm so saturday jealous. night so it was, it was a really good time. And I got to play bags with Brian Turner for quite a while. So who won? Um, the one game we won because I had a ringer on my team and I didn't realize it. Uh, the second time when it was just, a you know, me and Brian and a couple other guys, um, it was a little bit more evenly matched and I lost because I'm not good at this. So wait, do you mean cornhole? Cornhole. Yep. Oh, okay. Bigs. 
I don't like saying the term cornhole. It just, it feels wrong. I know it does, but that's the only way, like, that's the only name I know it as. It's it's like, it's it's weird, but it's... It's a bag of corn that goes in a hole. I don't, this I don't bag, the... these bags, I, I joked around, like, are these bags filled with other bags, like, like Ziplocs and like filled with cocaine? Because they felt weird. They weren't your typical. I'm like, what is in here? Okay. Well, I feel like there's what, another bag. That's where in Brian here. gets all of his stuff from. He wasn't sniffing the bags, but um, we did mess with the, the guys on each of our teams because me and Brian were at the same end and we'd switch colors on the other guys every once in a while, which is <laughs> really fun to do when they've been drinking and you've been drinking and they're like, wait, I thought we were red. We That's had a good so time. Should we get to some news? Yes, please. Hey, I got gas that don't put that in. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie has gas. Let's, let's hear all about it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Av gas. That is so after 13 years, the there is a fleet-wide STC for 100-octane unleaded aviation fuel, which is G100UL. So that's a mouthful. Yeah, so the FAA finally said, yep, that's cool. So we now have a suitable no-lead option for Avgas, which is very exciting. However, they are apparently finding trouble with uh, manufacturing, um, especially in the quantities that would be be needed to completely replace 100 low lead this will come with time it's taken them 13 years to get approval for this i'm sure down the road another 13 years um 100 unleaded is going to be for sure what we have like only we won't even see 100 low lead anymore so the question that i have with that though is (laughs) the lead is pretty much used as a preservative so if you let your airplane Hypothetically, if you let your airplane sit for six months, does it go bad like the gas in your uh, in your lawnmower or your snowblower? That's a good question. Oh, that's a good question. For me, I'm going to stick with 100 low lead until I cannot find it anymore. Only for the fact that I I don't trust something that doesn't have as much preservative action. You don't know how long that, that fuel's been in that tank. You know, when you go to the unattended airports, how long has that fuel been in those tanks? You don't know. How is the stability of that fuel going to impact our long-term uh, sustainability of that fuel? That's my that's my one big question. From Illinois, there was a skydiving fatality near Ottawa. However, this was during the same a similar time as a world record attempt, but it was not part of the world record attempt. The name of the victim has not been released yet because they want to notify the family first. But um, yeah, unfortunately, they were found. Uh, in a cornfield near Skydive Chicago, which is the company that did was doing these skydiving things. Usually the FAA, um, when investigating accidents like this, they don't um, go after the company and they don't record deaths um, having to do with the company. Um, it's mainly did the person who was skydiving pack their parachute and reserve parachute correctly. Um, that's usually what they investigate. Sioux City, Iowa. So Iowa Lakes are in the, uh, the national leading scores and aviation ranking systems. So there's a, uh, a release that, that's been uh, published by the Flying Magazine. It basically ranks aviation airport management programs across the country. And Iowa Lakes Community College is ranked number one for their, uh, for their college programs. It says that there's five categories that the magazine uses for, uh, for determination. One is uh, partners, value, fleet campus life and then the facilities in order to rank those colleges iowa lakes scored 41 out of 50 if you want to get into the aviation world and you don't want to pay a pretty penny to go to ember riddle or a und go to iowa lakes community college hey guys you guys remember what happened on saturday morning i flew with a student and some guy decided to steal a king air exactly a 29 year old man from mississippi is facing a string of charges including terrorism um, stolen property when he uh, when he stole a King Air uh, from his local airport and he flew around for about five hours threatening he's going to crash into a, a, a Walmart over in Tupelo, Mississippi. He ended up running out of fuel from what I can gather. I'm ashamed to admit for a dead stick landing in a King Air, he did pretty darn good. If that ditch wasn't there, he they probably would have been able to fly that sucker out. Yeah. So, you know, we're to the wise don't steal airplanes so here's the the deal on this one and and one of the reasons that i don't know it's worth talking about i think is what will be the response to this um 
because I know we had that incident in Seattle, what, a couple of years ago at this point. Um, and I'm just curious what you've got a guy who steals an aircraft, um, is flying around threatening to crash into stuff. Is there going to be a reaction from the FAA? Oh, there definitely will like? be a reaction from the FAA. It's just probably going to be, you know, right. a knee jerk reaction like closing taxiways that lead directly to hangars because apparently people who steal aircraft cannot taxi them, but they can take off with them. I don't know yet if he's in a pilot in the first place, but I know that he left a good die message on Facebook. Um, will this spark more conversation about mental health? Will it be something else? I'd, it's maybe probably too soon to tell, but certainly something worth keeping an eye on. I feel like the FAA, this is just going to give more fuel to the FAA's fire about like not, doing anything about mental health and that we just can't have people with mental health near aviation. Hey, Jim, do we have any cool and exciting events? We always have cool and exciting events. So let's start talking about those. Let, let's indulge. Let's indulge in the events. Yes, we shall indulge in the events. <laughs> Dive in. We'll start out in Racine, Wisconsin, where EAA Chapter 838 is hosting their September flyout. They'll be flying to Orchard's Landing Apple Farm, located at the Merkel Airport, 3 India Sierra 4. The airport features a 2,900-foot grass runway, which is adjacent to the orchard itself. They'll have apples, honey, apple cider donuts, and many other goods. More information is available on their Facebook event page. Sticking in Wisconsin, the Learn, Build, Fly organization will be hosting the Wausau's first-ever Women in Aviation Day. It's hosted by EAA Local Chapter 640 and Learn, Build, Fly. You can check out a World War II B-25 bomber, the Dreamflight STEM shuttle, as well as other static displays and young eagle flights weather permitting. The event will take place at the Wausau Downtown Airport on September 17th from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Additional information can be found at learnbuildfly.org. If you're looking for a similar event, the Women in Aviation Chapter in Flying Cloud Airport in Minnesota will be hosting their Girls in Aviation Day event on Saturday, September 24th at the Flying Cloud Airport in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. The event will feature a number of aviation schools, resources from the state of Minnesota, and the Metropolitan Airport Commission. They'll also have folks from Angel Flight Central and the Civil Air Patrol to talk about volunteer opportunities in aviation. Many professionals will be available to showcase their aviation careers, so stop on out and check that event out. If you haven't had a chance to check out the United States Air Force Thunderbirds this season, their final show in the Midwest is going to take place at the Frontiers and Flight Air Show at McConnell Air Force Base in Kansas. That event takes place September 24th and 25th as part of the base's open house and air show. Gates for that event will open at 9 a.m. and will close at 5.30 p.m. and admission is free to the public. Additional information is available on frontiersandflight.com. That'll wrap up the events for this episode, but if you have events for future episodes, you can reach out to us on our social media or at our email at flyingmidwestpodcasts at gmail.com. I'm going to be super lame and I'm not going to be here for this interview. I'm sorry, guys. So you won't be able to talk with uh, Mr. Franklin's flying circus with us tonight. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. We know your priorities lies. But you guys will have fun without me. Have all the fun for me. We will. I will see you later for the outro. So I'm really excited to be joined by Kyle Franklin uh, from Notably, Franklin's Flying Circus, he does a number of air show acts around the country, um, the most notable of which being his drunken pilot routine, which he performed this year at Oshkosh's Air Venture 22. So we're going to have a little chat with Mr. Franklin, and Maddie, you're going to join us on the backside of the interview. All right, see y'all on the flip side. So without further ado, Kyle Franklin. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Awesome. We are super, super excited to have you. Well, yeah. you got, appreciate the invite. The way we start all of our episodes, just to kind of break the ice between us guests and kind of just work our way into things is kind of like a fast five or something like that, where we ask you these five questions. Don't have to put a whole lot of th thought into it. Just what's your first reaction to it? Um, okay. People sometimes are getting caught up with this is more stressful <laughs> than I anticipated it to be. So yeah, no, not I, the I, attention. I <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I got a probably gonna ask me questions and be like, oh shit, I don't I don't I don't I don't know how to <laughs> so I'll start off with these five questions. We'll just jump right into them and you can say pass if you want, but I'm gonna give you grief about okay. it. Um, okay. so first question, what's your number one aviation pet peeve? 
Oh, aviation pet peeves <laughs> that they don't teach pilots like they used to anymore. That's getting no, to be my that, that's getting to be my biggest pet peeve on stuff is that it's just pilots today get they get so they're taught they're, it's, coddled. Yeah, it's just they're taught by the numbers only, and it's all it's students teaching students. There's no really good uh, stick and rudder guys out there anymore. And of course, that's I guess another thing I've always said is in aviation, you know, they start you off in a Cessna 150 or something like that. It's like, no, you need to start off in a tailwheel airplane, like either, you know, J3, Super Cub, you know, 172, something. You need, you need to start off with tailwheel. And because tailwheel would also make such better pilots and just them understanding how to, you know, con control an airplane and truly how to, how to handle it. And that's, that's beginning to be one of my biggest pet peeves in today's world. I go flying with some people or, you know, I get, get other people come down do some flying with me. And it's just like, you know, I generally, I generally don't, I don't teach from scratch. I like teaching advanced stick and rudder and just the pilots out there and all they know is numbers too. That's all they, it's like numbers are important. Don't get me wrong. Numbers are important and know your numbers of your airplane, stall speed, B and E, all the different things. But that being said, go deeper. Yeah. The, you know, feeling the airplane, understanding the stick and rudder and what, and knowing what the airplane's going to be. Cause that's, I learned this too from my, my father on that. What, one of the stories that I always, when I very first started flying the Waco, uh, the Waco UPS seven, the mystery ship, when I first started flying it, we didn't have an airplane that, there was an aerobatic airplane that had dual controls in it. Uh, all we had was the Super Cub and the Waco at the time. And so my dad taught me as much as he could in the Cub, but uh, skin, it's Super Cub, doesn't do aerobatics great. And, and, you know, he taught me how to fly the Waco in the back with the Cub as well. Because uh, when it came down to it, it was just a matter of me going and jumping in the Waco and, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully everything goes well. Well, you know, everything went fine for the most part. There is a story in there. But anyways, the main story I'm getting at is whenever I went up and I started working on the flat inverted spin, I knew how to get into the flat inverted spin, but I did not know how to get out of it. So I, I landed and I asked my dad, I'm like, okay, I know how to get into it, but how do I get out? And he's like, well, you, um, you, um, well, shit, I don't know. I just do it. And I'm like, that, I understand that, but I kind of need to know the basics beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so he actually had to get in the airplane, go up and do one and pay attention to what he was doing to get out of it. And he comes back down and tells me everything. And I figured it out. And this many years later now, I understand where he was coming from on that because I get people like, well, what are you doing at this? Or what, what, what I had someone the other day ask me, well, what's this airplane stall at him? I'm like, zero. Uh, airspeed wise it's going to read zero so don't, don't worry about airspeed just feel the airplane you know it'll talk to you before it's going to stall and some people they, they just don't understand that and that's that's one of my biggest pet peeves in aviation is just we're, we're trying to get pilots you know especially now with the airline industry needing pilots and everything they're just trying to bang these pilots out like crazy and it's just like uh, I'd still rather have a decent, you know, much better stick and rudder guy flying than one that's a good computer programmer, which unfortunately, and I know I'll probably get backlash for this, but that's the way I feel most airline pilots are today. They're all computer programmers. You get in there, you program in the FMS and, you know. Hit you enter and you go. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, half the time they don't even have to taxi out there. They, even the computer can do that. And at most it's taxi out, throttles forward, then gear up autopilot on until you're 50 mm -hmm. feet off the deck ready for landing next question uh -oh. <laughs> most memorable aviator that you've met oh most Ooh, memorable Ooh, that is a good one uh most i bring the hard questions so <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean that, that that one is a hard one for me because i have i've been very fortunate to have uh, met a lot of amazing pilots in all their own in all their own right depends on what you look for uh almost hands down for me would obviously be my father considered he's the one that taught me so much about flying and aviation air show world and you know even the showman factor that i still push pretty hard in the air show industry and everything i, lo I love the showmanship part of this the entertaining is the main thing i enjoy more than anything about it in 
flying air shows is as long as people are entertained at what I'm doing, I'm, I'm happy. Bob, Bob Hoover growing up mm. around Bob Hoover, you know, he's a legend wow. in the, he's a legend in the, this world and the aviation world as a whole. I mean, he, he was, he was great on there. I mean, uh, new Bob didn't do a ton of flying with him or anything there. He was, I think by the time he retired, you know, I was in my late teens, but still got to grow up with him, learn some things. Jim Leroy was a good one. I got to fly with Jim Leroy a lot. Uh, boy, he was an amazing, amazing aerobatic pilot. In my book, he's still one of the best pits pilots there's ever been. Those, those three hands down, I would give would probably be some of the major ones, but, uh, again, learned, learned things from Bobby Yunkin. Again, it's been a, it's been a real benefit growing up in this, in the air show industry. Love it. Those, <laughs> there's some, uh, so there's some pretty good names in that list. Next question is what's your favorite aviation related movie? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, what I appreciate the most, but never can get watch all the way through, of course, is right stuff. The right stuff. That was always, Oh Yeah. That was always a fun one for me. I always really enjoy that because I, I grew up uh, loving, you know, space and wanted, wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, all those different things. So, yeah, those were that that was good. But of course, everybody on the planet answer is going to be Top Gun, too. That was always a bit, that was always <laughs> between. The, I know I even, even back then, even when I was six, seven years old, when it first came out, I knew this was not you know, this is not realistic. I knew it was hokey. My father was actually doing some movies at the time. And I learned very quickly about Hollywood special effects and things they do in post. So I knew, I knew most of it, but I mean, Top Gun was just such a great feel good, you know, between the music, the flying scenes, the egos and everything involved with it. It's like, well, that's, it's, it's, that, it's Americana. Yeah, that is the American fly movie. You want know, to talk about one of my least favorite ones, and which which one was this? The Fast, Fast and the Furious Six. Which one's the one with this? They've got the law, the uh, the like the giant C five that's running down the runway, and they've got the cars. Oh, I, I haven't watched many of those movies, so I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's either six. I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's six. In the in the scene in that movie, they uh, like a C five's getting ready to take off, and they get out there on the runway with the cars, and they're chasing after. Well, this whole sequence takes about 30 minutes to go through this whole thing. And at the end of this, and then, of course, at the very end, the airplane crashes right at mm -hmm. the end of the runway. And I'm thinking, how long was this <laughs> runway? I mean, I understand the movie works and everything, but even at that, how long was this runway? And I started trying to do the math on it. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm sure someone, right. some, other geek, some other geek online is probably right there. <laughs> And I looked it up and someone had did the math and it was uh, the runway would have needed to be 27 miles long. 27. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Yeah, that, that, that's one of my ones where I was like, why is it every time Hollywood gets airplanes involved, like all logic just goes right out the window. I mean, again, I understand movies. As long as you keep it marginally believable, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But once you get, when you get completely out in orbit with, common sense i'm like all right i'm out <laughs> next question in our fast five <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite air show venue that's again that's kind of a hard one it depends on the year but uh normally our favorite one of our favorite shows right now has been the uh, battle creek balloon festival and air show in battle creek michigan because uh they took an air show and they expanded on it drastically they've got a whole carnival there you know amusement amusement rides uh, and every year they change it up some. I've seen them out where they have, uh, what do they call it, uh, dock diving or something like that, where they got the dogs running down the deck. Oh, sure. In the water. They had that at the air show. They had, they had um, uh, cars doing drag races out on the runway prior to the <laughs> air show starting. And uh, it, they always, they think outside the box. You know, they, they go to where they're, inter they're not just entertaining aviation people, they're entertaining everybody that comes. So whether you like airplanes or not, there's something there for you. And that's something that the air show world has been very slow over the years to finally figure out. They think, well, this is an air show. It needs to be just airplanes. It's like, yes, but not everybody likes airplanes. Right. It's, uh, uh, so, you know, have something there to draw more people out to support your air show but also have something else. And it's like yeah, some people are against jet trucks at air shows. They think that has nothing to, that should not be at an air show because it has nothing to do with airplanes. It's like, well, 
one it's it yeah it may not necessarily fly but it has jet engines on it yeah that are part of it. so i'm i think that qualifies it to be at an air show because it's got jet engines on it but um or what about know. the bus with the uh with the runway so you land the cub on top of it whatever yeah whatever, exactly. whatever that one is the yeah, bus doesn't uh, have anything to do with aviation other than it's got a runway on top of it exactly so i mean it's uh, i still think mm. You know, I like just thinking outside the box on those things and having something to entertain everybody because that's the way I also think when I'm doing when I'm trying to put a new act together or coming up with something new. I try to find something that I can that everybody across from children all the way to the old, you know, the old diehard aviation people. I want something in the act that everybody will like. I always try to find something that's going to entertain everybody in some form of fashion. And so when air shows go to that level where they have a good variety of different acts. It's not the same old monoplane over and over and over again, you know, you know, no, no disrespect to the monoplane guys, but that's becoming the main thing in the air show industry. Vero beach, Florida was uh, another one this year that was really, really good that the, they, they go all out on their spectator layouts and everything for their spectators and the show. It's just, you know, I can definitely see when the show's, put effort into it that's on that ex that extreme of it other extreme is i like the small town little show where there's four performers you know a town of thousand two thousand people and they come out and it's feels like an air show from the 1950s or 60s you know those those are also my favorite ones and unfortunately with a lot of the new rules and regulations that the, the faa and the International Council of Air Shows are putting into effect. They're steadily killing the small town shows. And so I'm very saddened to see that happen. Uh, we're trying to make some headway and saving a few more of those shows, but it's just things, things in this world are getting too expensive and too complicated to where the small town shows just can't afford or can't afford or can't do what all they need to do. And, um, Sadly, seeing a lot of the small town shows go away. Last one I got for you in our quick intro section. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I meant to warn you guys. I can talk for a long time. I got I got lots of different stories between my dad's stories, my uncle's stories, my stories. You know, there's yeah. uh, over over 50 years of Franklin history here. So I, can, I, know, and I know most of it. So, yeah, I got lots of different stories I can tell. The last question. Um <laughs> You can't answer um, Kyle Franklin. This is not, that's not going to be an acceptable answer to this question. Who is your favorite current air show performer? And I know you want, I would want to say Kyle Franklin, but I'm not you. So (laughs) current favorite. Wow. Uh, Start of 2020, it was the the twin tigers aerobatic team, Uh, big Mark and little Mark, you know, everything they were doing was phenomenal, but then we lost middle little Mark at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the 2020 season there. So. 2020 in general uh let's see who's my favorite out there i would actually have to say the one that's impressing me the most in just again you know i'm i'm in i'm a full-on entertainment guy you know good stick out there there's lots of great great aerobatic pilots but as a whole and everything and always on the cuffs of coming up with something different and that i can relate more to it i would say nathan hammond with the uh, super achievements with ghost rider air shows okay. yeah 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 his his night show and the level he takes his night show and his day show for that matter is just unbelievable in my book and just how how great and how much thought he has put into all these things and his, his sky riding he's the best sky rider i've ever seen and i don't mean any disrespect to any of the past sky riders but it just nathan he goes above and beyond in everything he does in the air show industry. That's going to do it for our first intro questions. So we're going to, we're going to work into just, you know, the actual, I've been saying meat and potato of the episode, the last four or five episodes. So I need to find a better word, but <laughs> um, the main course, the main course. Okay. I'll that keep it food related, right? Yeah, well. there you go. Into the main course. It just sounds so cheesy, but I'm going to probably use it. <laughs> So where are you from? Uh, originally, I'm out of uh, Ruidosa, New Mexico is where I'm originally from. Uh, grew up there, uh, graduated. My All my family's originally out of there. My 
Of course, my father was out of Lovington, New Mexico. My mom was originally from Las Cruces, New Mexico. So, That's and, and, most, and my, most of my family still lives out there. So, because uh, my grandfather was actually a farmer and a rancher, and the farm and the ranch were 30 miles apart. And that's how uh, that's how my dad learned to fly was sitting on his lap going back and forth between the farm oh, and the ranch. Okay. Yeah, because my grandfather, uh, he used an airplane like most people do, a pickup truck. I mean, it was just another piece of farm equipment because uh, he was actually a self-taught pilot when he was 16. And uh, since then, he's, uh, you know, since then, after that, airplane just became a normal, normal piece of thing and way he always traveled uh you, you talked about your grandfather being the being the one using the aviation the aviation outlet as a uh, as a tool in the toolbox mm-hmm. that really really uh where it started from or were there other uh influences well let me put it this way from from the start i i was born into aviation between my grandfather i mean i was two weeks two weeks old first time i went uh went in an airplane with my father he had to go somewhere and they threw the car seat. I think it was in the back of it. I think I can't remember if it was the Viking or if it was the Cub. But uh, anyways, I was two weeks old. First time I went in the airplane, uh, actually grew up or spent the first four or five years of my life in a uh, hangar home. Uh, we had uh, a hangar uh, on a pri- private, well, a private field type type thing. And so it had a glass door that looked out into the hangar and we had the, the Aerostar and the Waco and the Cub and, you know, different airplanes in there. And so I, that was a big influence on me. And then, of course, just my grandfather uh, flying airplanes all, all the time. Whenever I'd go go to uh, Lovington, my grandfather and grandmother, they actually ran the Lovington Airport, which is now named after nice. him. But uh, I grew up on that Lovington Airport going, riding my bicycle on the ramp and then go with my grandfather and we'd fly to the farm and then we'd fly out to the ranch. He still was a uh, beef rancher out there and we'd go out there and and uh, fly out to the ranch and then jump in the old vehicles, go out and check all the troughs and feed, feed all the cattle. And anyways, but airplanes were always just a big part of my life. And honestly, I don't think I have a single picture hardly it doesn't have an airplane in the background. And so uh, to me, airplanes were just another, it was just something that was always there. And I grew up with it. And, and of course, as I was growing up too, when my dad developed the act called czar, which was done in a twin engine aero star, it was one of the few aerobatic twin engine, twin engine aerobatic acts that there's been in the air show industry. Whenever he was developing that, he got the idea for it after watching the uh, empire strikes back. After, oh, after Star Wars came out, after Star Wars came out, he realized this is going to be really popular. And what can I do to try to, you know, capitalize on this and maybe try to make a little money in the air show industry? Because as uh, a lot of people have heard me say with the air show industry, it's a it's a hard way to make an easy living because uh, this is what I do full time for a living. And the flying is the easy part and the fun part, but all the other stuff in between, mm-hmm. not so much. Oh, yeah. But uh, but of course, go. go when my dad started developing up the czar act, I was three, you know, two, three, four years old. Uh, and he was developing the act up as a space age character. And he was going to focus it primarily towards kids. And I was the Guinea pig. He was you know, like, Hey, Kyle, what, what do you think? You like this, like this. And he used me to generate other ideas for the act and being a part of that in such a young age that really got me, uh, really started influencing more on the showmanship factor and and even you know my father he's air show pilot yeah but he's also playing this comic book character and i don't know that always that all had a real impression it made a real found impression on me it's, it's and so, your, your future as a air show pilot yeah well it kind of did that was you know i never really since i grew up in this business i didn't know whether i was really going to be a full-time air show pilot or not. Uh, my dad never pushed me towards being uh, an air show pilot. He, in fact, he always figured I'd go and do something else with cars, which I do a lot of stuff with cars too, but the air show industry, I've just, because I have been in it so long and I grew up around it, I just can't imagine not doing it. It's just, it's part of who I am now. You know, I have my father to thank for a lot, a lot of that, a lot of the knowledge and, of course, the equipment to continue on doing this. My uncle was a set, was a captain for Southwest Airlines. He flew for Southwest for over 40 years, wow. did air shows as well. He did uh, what he actually 
actually he did he did his official solo on his 16th birthday was an air show performance at the loving wow Spanish. that's pretty cool because <laughs> my, my my uh uncle actually soloed when he was 11 my dad soloed when he was 12 so they they grew up with this they grew up with the airplanes as well and that's actually how and back up here i'm kind of bouncing around on the stories uh, but that's actually how one of the ways my father learned to fly and built a lot of time was he was home alone when he was 12 years old. He was home alone and got bored and decided to go out and fly. And so he went, and put, he, was, he was a pretty small guy at the time. And he went and pushed the uh, family PA 14 family cruiser, uh, pushed the PA 14 out of the hangar. And he was just able to get it out enough to clear the prop. It, and uh, started up, went out and flew around and buzzed the neighbor's house and everything. And he came back in and landed and pulled up to the hangar, but he realized that he was too small. He wasn't going to be able to get the airplane back in the hangar, so he knew he was going to get caught. <laughs> and about, about, the, about that time, the phone rings, and he goes in and uh, answers the phone, and it's his dad. And he's like, well, you, you get all your chores done? It's like, yes, sir, got my chores done. It's like, well, what you been doing? Well, I've been flying, and at the time, my dad also did RC models and different mm -hmm. things at like that, and, and uh, my grandfather asked, like, well, that's good. Uh, what airplane you been flying? Yours? <laughs> I'd say, what? Like, well, I've been flying your airplane. And he said there was kind of a long pause there, and kind of said, well, okay, but don't, do, don't go up anymore until I get there. And so he... Uh, and uh, anyways, uh, he got back and, of course, stopped by the neighbor's house on the way on the way back out to the farm there and said, well, what are you doing here? I saw I just saw your airplane flying around a little while ago. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to go find out about. So <laughs> anyway, it went back and my grandfather thought about it for about a week or so and, you know, talked with my dad about it. It's like, well, one of his sayings, you know, my grandfather always say was asked him, well, did your knees knock whenever you we're you know, went to go fly by yourself. He's like, no, my knees didn't knock. The The only thing I could see different is with you in it and with you out of it, it flew a whole lot better without <laughs> you in it. That's awesome. So anyways, after, after my grandfather mulling that over for about a week or so, it just added another chore to my, to uh, my father's, you know, daily chores when he got home and got off the school bus is uh, they put a feed hopper in the back of the PA 14 and would had the little grain cubes they used to feed cattle. And uh, so put a feed hopper in the back of the PA-14. And my dad, at 12 years old, would get off the uh, school bus. The airplane already be loaded and ready to go. And he'd jump in the, in the PA-14, fly the 30 miles out to the ranch, and then find the cattle and start dumping the feed out of the back of the airplane. And that's how my father started building time uh building time if you know in the airplane when he was 12 years old was feeding the cattle and the, the only downside about all of that was that they found that after feeding the cattle that way for a while anytime any airplane would fly over the ranch oh, the no. cattle would start chasing the airplane <laughs> <laughs> they realized that's where the food comes from so they got to the point they would chase any airplane that flew over the ranch but uh that's awesome but yeah that that's kind of the story of how my my father started building his time because for my father let's say we can go a little bit there 12 years old was the pivoting point in his life at 12 years old you know he soloed himself while he was home alone he went to his first air show as a spectator and saw Harold Cryer and Charlie Hillard perform and made the decision right then that he wanted to be an air show pilot. And uh, after he got, got back from that air show, he uh, bought an antique airplane magazine and the centerfold centerfold of that magazine was a 1940 Waco UPF seven. And he just thought that was the coolest looking airplane he had ever seen. And uh, he ended up taking that out and putting it up on his wall and, well, a real uh, angel in centerfold, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and uh, as his mom eventually took it down and had it framed for him. Well, jump ahead a couple of years, so he's eighteen. Him and his father was in uh, Southwest Texas and uh, at an air show as spectators. And as they were getting ready to leave, they my dad noticed his airplane and open T hanger in the back, and well, that looks kind of familiar. And went over there, and it's a 1940 Waco UPF seven. Actually, it was, it is the end number, the end number, it is the airplane 
that he had hanging on his wall wow. in that centerfold, which was November 2369 Quebec. They ended up buying it on the spot for $4,500. My uh, father jumped in it and taxied it around, figured it out and everything. And uh, they jumped in the other, jumped in with both airplanes, flew it home. And the very next year, my father started doing air shows in a stock Walker UPS 7. And that airplane, 2369 Quebec, is the airplane that eventually became the mystery or eventually became the Jet Waco. Wow. So kind of a full circle. Full wow. circle. That is the airplane he started off with, and that is the airplane he died in. So it was, it was kind of a kind of a neat thing there. And the 12 years, 12 years old was a pivoting point in my father's life where he he knew that he was going to do there. Me, on the other hand, I've always had a lot of different interests. <laughs> Again, flying, what flying was, I got to flying, very, I got to flying very young, but, uh, you know, I had, by the time I hit teenager, I got into girls and motorcycles and a bunch of other things and flying was always there, but flying was always kind of on the backside, mm -hmm. but and again, a lot of the things I learned flying, you know, I was I was told the first time I actually had a CFI look at my logbook that I've been keeping since I was 10 years old uh, or well, actually a little earlier than that, about eight years old. Anyways, he looked through, it's like, oh, this is very cool. But you technically need to lose this logbook because having things in here about flying underneath power lines and power lines with fences <laughs> and landing on the highways is not something you need to have in your book. And I'm like, oh, OK. So <laughs> that book went away, started a new started a new logbook. But uh, but now it was I did a lot of flying. But uh, of course, you know, I started traveling with my father on the road when I was 12 years old and basically every summer. From then on, I was traveling with him on the road doing air shows from basically as soon as I finished up my last final in, in school, I was on an airline to meet up wherever he was, would go the entire summer with him and airline back in about a week before school started. Nice. And I spent every summer with him and, you know, learned, learned a lot from him. And then, of course, when I was 17, I started wing walking for him, the wing walker we had. Uh, the beginning of the season, he just kind of up and quit. He just decided he was done, done with air show or done with the wing walking bit. Didn't want to do it anymore. And my father had a full season booked and, you know, there's not that many wing walkers out there. Uh, we were able to get Todd green to fill in a few slots there in the beginning. And uh, I was 17 at the time. And I told him like, well, I'm already trained. I had been trained, of course, growing up. I was always imitating the wing walkers as a kid. And by the time I, when I was 14, I went for my first wing walk on the outside of the airplane, got, got up. All it was, was I just crawled up on the top wing, strapped in. We did some basic aerobatics and then I crawled back down into the front cockpit and kind of have been there, done that, you know, thing of something I always wanted to do was just try wing walking. And anyways, yeah, when we needed, he needed someone to fill that season. I told him like, well, I'll do it for this season until we find you know, we get someone else trained and get someone else to do it. And then next thing I know, eight years later, I was still wing walking. So <laughs> wing walking took up a big chunk, a big chunk of my air show career. And then I started, I did start flying. I started flying the comedy routine that everybody knows. I started flying that when I was about, I think I was about 20 years old when I started flying that one. And, uh, the, you know, we'll do that at a few shows, primarily still wing walking, but, uh, that's how a lot of my stuff got started too. That's so pretty cool. yeah, lots of different stories there. <laughs> so in the, in that eight years that you're doing the wing walking, it, did you know that you're going to continue on performing at that point? Or was there a certain turning point where you're like, this is what I'm going to keep doing. When, when I was 17 and I started doing it, great. I was a sophomore in high school and you know, that was, that was a fun job. You know, I was already traveling with my dad every summer and, you know, beat working at McDonald's as a summer job. So oh, yeah. So, yeah, so I was doing the wing walking and I think what was that? I was doing the wing walking all the way up until either 2000 or 2001, somewhere around there. And I'd, I'd done it plenty and I was ready to do something else. I wanted to go back to school. So we had uh, and lo and behold, had a girl come in that wanted to uh, wanted to learn some more on wing walking and she wanted to take over. And I thought, great, this will work out perfect. You know, she can take over and uh, then I can go back to school. So she traveled with us for the one year there and she traveled with us first half the season. 
learning everything. And then the last half of the season, my dad and her went off doing that. And I went back to school and did that all through the start of the next year. And then unfortunately things didn't work out. So I only got about two semesters in before the things didn't work out with the wing Walker. And so I stepped back in, I really didn't want to, but I stepped back in to do the wing walking bit and decided, you know what, I'm just going to stick with this for a while. And, and uh, we started, you know, started flying some air shows in the Waco mystery ship because we were flying the jet Waco at the time and uh, started doing a few shows with the mystery ship. Still wing walking was my primary. And then, uh, and then in 2005, when my dad and Bobby Yunkin collided and, you know, that kind of, that kind of put the end to my wing walking career. I didn't really didn't, I, I was from the start, I was too big to be a wing walker anyways. Again, the, the only reason I started wing walking professionally was kind of out of necessity at the time and to be perfectly honest I did really enjoy the I enjoyed the wing walking and I enjoyed the different aspects that uh, I brought to it with all d- different tricks we'd come up with different ideas but uh, I got some other interesting stories like the first time we ever did a snap roll with me out on the wing uh, you know on the top wing not a big deal I'm strapped in not a big deal but when I'm down in between the wings doing a snap roll out there there's a lot more force out there it's trying to sling me off the wing more and flat out my dad just forgot I was out there and pulled it into a snap roll and I held on real tight and since that worked I was I'll like okay, continue, since you forgot about me but it worked let's just continue doing that so anyways we came up with different ideas but but after after he passed uh you know at the time I was still dating Bobby Yunkin's daughter Amanda and uh, we ended up getting married the next year. And that was one of the questions that, you know, we kind of sat down and had a discussion about us. Are we going to stay in this air show mess or are we going to do something else? What, because, uh, you know, air shows are a love hate relationship as with most jobs, you know, you, certain things about it you love, other things you don't. And uh, anyways, we, we had a long discussion about whether we're going to stay in this business or get out and we decided to stay in it. And so if I'm going, if I'm going to stay in it, I'm going all in. So sure. I've been, been doing it ever here since. You are. <laughs> yeah, here I am still doing it. Don't get me wrong. I got some other ideas of things I'd like to try and I've, I've come real close to doing them, but things don't always work out like you hope. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, but now there, so I've got a new act I'm working on. If I can find the right airplane, I know the airplane I want. And if I can find it, I've got, I think this act will go over really well, but with the uh, state of the economy, the country, the world, everything right now, I'm just kind of like, I'm not trying real hard to find the airplane, but if the airplane pops up, I'll get it. But until then, I don't know when the act's actually going to, I don't know what I'm going to have together because I'm just kind of waiting to see where things go first. <laughs> you knew that same moment your dad had where the plane just appears before him and like we're buying it on the spot. That's what you need. Hey, Manny, welcome Hi. back. Thanks, Trevor. Good to be back. You missed our conversation. I'm I'm aware. She knows. It was working. So what I hear you say is you're going to have to listen to Kyle Franklin when the episode gets released. Yes, I will listen to that one. I promise. So fun story. Um, The interview you may notice was cut a little abruptly. There is so much content that we were able to get from Kyle, um, just the stories he has, the experiences he's had, um, that we, we're going to split it into two episodes um, for the sake of time. We typically like to try to keep the episodes around an hour long um, for the listening pleasure of our audience. Um, so what we'll do is we're going to have a special episode later this week, the week of the September 12th, um, where we will put out the second part of that interview with Kyle. Uh, The second part of the interview is going to showcase him talking about the actual show itself that he puts together, the work he does in the aircraft during the show, as well as uh, how much work he has to still put into things with maintenance when he's not in the aircraft performing. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. And I I enjoyed listening to him talk about just the family history of how he got into this in the first place. That was really entertaining. I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) I can't imagine stealing my parents' airplane. At 12 years old. I just, I think the family history of it is really cool. Just how far back aviation goes in the blood of his family. That covers that part. Now do we want to cover Super Arrow? Hey, Jim. Yes, Trevor. Who's Super Arrow? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad you asked. 
Ryan Dabrowski is a YouTuber out of what the state of Wisconsin, or as you like to call it, Wisconsin. That's correct. Wisconsin. <laughs> He's land, as my dad says. He he is the host of Super Arrow Live, where he brings on numerous guests on YouTube lives. And we are going to do a dual interview with him on his channel, um, likely on September 14th. So I will be posting additional information on our social media pages to let you know when that's happening. But we're basically just going to go back and forth where he'll interview us and we'll interview him. And we're just going to do like dueling uh, interview questions until we have a winner. Skull Vikings. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. This is already going out. The Vikings just won, so we'll, we'll be sure to bring that up. Does Kansas even have a football team? Hold on. Maddie. Kansas football. Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, but is it Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City? It's basically the same thing. Yeah. They're two different states. (laughs) Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas are two separate cities, as is the Upper Peninsula of Michigan being a part of Michigan, not just an extension of Wisconsin. It should be an extension. It is Wisconsin. Yeah, and as I... No, and as I told Brian Turner at Sydna, that the fact that the Wisconsinites have not taken back the Upper Peninsula tells me everything I need to know about that state. Yep. Amen to that. <laughs> yep. The UP is yours for the taking, Wisconsin. All right, Maddie, how do people follow us and get to know where we're at? Follow us on Instagram, like our page on Facebook. Or you can contact us on our email at flymidwestpodcast at gmail.com. If you have ideas for future shows or want to be a guest, certainly reach out to us. We'd love to have you. Oh, also, we have really cool merch. So if you want to support us and also rep the podcast, because we're kind of cool and we have a neat looking logo, definitely look on our website. We've got our merch there. Got coffee cups, hats, mugs. Wait, shoot. Shirts. We have shirts. Shirts. That's the word I was looking for. We've got shirts, etc. That's all available on our website, flymidwest.com forward slash merch. 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 All right, boys. I know you guys had more fun than me because you got to talk with Mr. Franklin and everything. We did. However, I did have fun on this podcast. We're glad. Did you guys have fun? I think we talked about that already. Of course we did. We got to talk to Kyle Franklin. I'm just making sure. We had a blast. Good. Gosh. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Until next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. Let's check 536. Contact Minneapolis Center 132.35 today. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated. Squawk VFR. Frequency change approved. Good day. Even then, Maddie may be a CFI, but she's not your CFI. Please consult your CFI before doing any of the stupid shenanigans we tell you to do. Especially if it's for me and Trevor. Oh, please put that, like... Oh, that's going in there somewhere. That has to be, like, at the end. Like, that has to be, like, our concluding thought. As soon as I get my check ride, I'm pulling shots. I'm getting the bleep out of here. That's understandable. You've been living in a trailer for eight months. So I, I really appreciate how you censored yourself. <laughs> it's appreciate a family that? friendly podcast. I th- yeah, and he, I thought it was He funny. understands and respects that. Thank you, Trevor, for doing that. I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not down. trying. I'm not You're going to find another soapbox to get on, so it's okay. We all do. Isn't being on a podcast like just kind of just laying on a on a soapbox being like, listen to me for an hour. Well, it's not because we bring other people in for them to listen to for half of that hour. So we bring them onto our soapbox. Yeah, come up to our soapbox, get cozy, and share your unpopular opinions. I am safe. I taught my student to, I taught a student about the I'm safe checklist today. Um, unrelated note, at the fly-in I was at, um, we were talking about um, the maneuver someone had done uh, as they did their low pass that you're supposed to do before you land at this airport. Someone had said, uh, what part of the I am safe checklist is that on? And I said, the E for eh. <laughs> e for eh. eh. That's, I feel that right here, you know? <laughs> I feel eh a lot.
the Flying Midwest Podcast is not your CFI. Please don't take that bit seriously. We're, we're the Midwest Flying Podcast. Yes. And we talk about Midwest that's, content. That's not the name of our Flying podcast. Midwest. Flying Midwest Podcast. For those of you listening at home, um, if you thought you heard my eyes roll, you did. And that's a uh, that's a tornado. Where? That, that, <laughs> where? Don't say that to Maddie. She's in Kansas. It could be anywhere around any corner. Also, anytime. experienced an earthquake today. <laughs> I was sit- I was standing on some suspended you know why? stairs. It's because she Stop! had. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I thought it was from my landings at Sidmon. <laughs> <laughs> they're so bad we felt them halfway across the country hang on hang on i got something brewing so it's not gas <laughs> i was gonna make the joke <laughs> damn it <coughs> all right straight face there are some strong feelings about other people in this in this podcast right now sorry is this the first time you've listened Clearly, <laughs> I'm not here often. Apparently, well played, Jim. Well yeah. played. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, I got gas. 